Let's, uh, let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for the blessing of uh, young voices to lead us in worship and to uh, take us once more to your throne. As I acknowledge your greatness, your power, and your majesty, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to grow in their hearts and minds. Uh, bless them, encourage them, their parents as well, as they seek to raise them in their understanding and knowledge of you. God, I pray now that as we open your word, that you would speak to us about uh, our lives, about uh, the way we live them, about our interactions with those that you bring into our lives, Lord, that we would reflect you and reveal you to a world that so desperately needs to see uh, the difference you can make in a life, Lord. I pray that you use this time, this, 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 these moments, Lord, to, uh, to bring us change and transformation and uh, just to work in our hearts and minds. And it's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. If you have an email address, there is a pretty good chance at some point you have received an email from someone offering you some amazing deal. Sometimes it's some prince from Nigeria who, uh, who was rushed out of the country and uh, they need some funds from you to be able to access their own funds. And if you give them their fu your funds, then they'll send you some of theirs. Sometimes it's uh, some, uh, a company that uh, you, you know you recognize, you've, you've had dealings with before, but suddenly there's this extra bill, there's this extra charge that's going to come your way if you don't call them immediately. And, and uh, when you do call them and you get online with them, you know, then they tell you to, to go to your computer and, and uh, go into login, mylogin.com, uh, and, and they, you know, they ask for access codes and they can work their way into your computer that way. Sometimes it's you know, other phishing scams. I'm in a meeting and I need you to run to the store and, and buy some gift cards for the people that are here in the meeting with me. There's all sorts of these scams that are out there. Uh, people uh, trying to take advantage of, of, of people's good nature, people's desire to help, people's, um, you know, sometimes greed, you know, to take advantage of that to, uh, to then rob them, steal from them uh, their, their money their credit rating, their uh, other uh, information that they can use for ill-gotten gains. Do not steal is our commandment this morning that we come to deal with. And we live in a world where theft has become the norm. It's become a, a everyday occurrence in, in so many different ways. And I want to look this morning at this commandment. I want to look this morning at what God is trying to communicate here because it's not just about stealing money from others. There is so much more that goes into this command that, that I think we need to understand in our dealings and in our relationships with others. And a lot of that is evident just in the, the broadness of this law. It simply says, do not steal. Now, those who have studied law codes from a variety of different settings in ancient Near Eastern cultures and so forth, they observe that when they read this particular command, they're surprised by how broad it is. Because it was very common in the ancient Near East to talk about theft, but 
usually it had a lot of qualifiers on it. That is, if you were stealing from a certain type of person, eh, not such a big deal. If you were stealing from another type of person, that was a huge deal. That there were these these classifications of theft that that one kind of theft was was almost okay. It was almost expected. It was almost appropriate because you're just building your own standing. You're, you're just building your own life, as it were. But another kind of theft, you know, that, that was damaging to the culture, that was da- damaging to the society, or that was damaging to the, the, the nobility or whatever. And so that was not appropriate. But when God comes to this law, when God comes to this expression, he simply states it, do not steal, period, from anyone. There is a, an, an integrity, there is a, a worth to other people that is embedded in this law that all people, all persons are respected, all persons are acknowledged in terms of this particular law. Now what is theft? What is the stealing? What is the idea here? Well, I would, I would simply define stealing in this context as seeking someone else's something for nothing. Okay? That is, you're taking something from someone else without putting your own work into it, without putting your own efforts into it. It's, it's trying to gain something for nothing. And the, the, the basis for the wrongness of this is found in creation itself. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, we read, The Lord God, or Yahweh God, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it? And to keep it, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And so we see right here at the outset, from creation itself, before the fall, work was a part of God's plan. But it wasn't just work for work's sake. There is a dignity in work. There is an expectation of the fruits of our labor, and when we steal, when, when we rob somebody of else uh, of what they possess, we are denying the dignity of work and the expectation of the fruits of our labor. That is a, a part of the, the, the reality in terms of what the Bible's trying to get across here, is that when we steal from others, we're saying there is no dignity in work. We're saying it's not worth it. We're saying it's not important. We're saying that how God created us is not how we actually want to function. It's not how we actually want to operate in this life. We want to take shortcuts around God's plan. We want to take shortcuts around God's desire and, and, and ignore what God has built into us. And then we also want to uh, diminish the fruits and the blessings that God gives us as a result of our work. And so theft not only robs us of of uh, robs the other person of their belongings. It robs us of the very status that God desired us to possess, the very mindset and perspective that God desired us to 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 operate from. Now, having defined theft at least a little, and and having defined kind of the biblical basis for it, what are some ways that we steal? What are some ways that we take from someone without paying for it, getting, trying to get something for nothing. Well, obviously, the first type is just basic theft. 
And that has become something that has, um, in some ways, become easier. Um, digital downloads are a big way that a lot of people slip into theft nowadays. Um, I remember when music was first becoming available on the internet. Yes, I am that old, y'all. Um, <laughs> that there was this big controversy over, well, what can you record and what can you not, and, and those sorts of things. Um, and, and the basic line that you would generally hear was, well, if I'm not recording it to sell it, then I'm not breaking their copyright laws. That's what you would typically hear from Christians. I'm just recording it for my own enjoyment, so forth. If you didn't pay for that recording, that's theft. Okay? To, to download somebody else's work, somebody else's music, somebody else's uh, uh, recording of what they've accomplished, the, the work of their labor, to download that, to make it your own in some way, put it on a CD or whatever, without compensating them for that, that is theft. It's a very common form of theft nowadays. That's why you have iTunes and so forth where you can buy it by the song and so forth because that became so prevalent that they had to have a workaround so that people would stop doing that. Basic theft is, is just simply trying to get something for nothing, taking something from you know, a loved one perhaps or a stranger. I don't know how many times my car has been broken into, you know, and things just taken out. Um, part of that's my own fault for leaving it unlocked at times, but nonetheless, uh, that's theft. That was fairly self-evident. We don't need to spend much time or any more time there. But there are other ways that we steal. We we steal as employers when we don't pay a proper wage. James five verses four and five says, "Behold." The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. James goes right to the heart of it, almost sounding almost like Amos, the prophet, talking about how sometimes employers don't pay a proper wage. They they use the labor of those that work underneath them to gain their own wealth, to gain their own standing, to build their own lifestyles, but they don't pay accordingly or appropriately to those who have carried out that wage. That is theft. That is getting something for nothing or less than what it should be. But it's true on the other side as well when employees are not productive or don't work productively, this is theft. To, to spend your time in your workplace doing things that your, your employer uh, would not approve of, do not want your time spent doing and so forth, that is theft. You steal time that way. You can also... Um, steal from them by, by only going halfway. They, they think they're getting a certain product from you. They think they're getting a certain level of commitment from you, but you're not putting that in. That is theft. There's a balance that we see 
between these two. There's a there's a there's a there's a road forward that we see playing out already in the the ways that we feel in the, the ways that we don't acknowledge our responsibility to those that we're in some level of agreement with. We steal sometimes by taking someone's good name from them. We'll focus more on this next week with the bearing false witness, but just just a note here that often we steal people's reputations and the sad part about this is that we often really don't gain anything from it. We might think we are, but we really don't. William Shakespeare wrote in the play Othello, He that filches me, filches from me my good name, robs me of that which not enriches him, and makes me poorer indeed. Too often we, we rob people of their reputations. And it doesn't enrich us at all, and it robs them significantly of their standing, of their place, of their position. And then we steal when we fail to give to God's work. I think most of us, if you've grown up in the church at all, have heard many sermons on Malachi 3, 8, 10. It usually comes around about budget time as uh, the church is getting ready to, to plan their budget and so forth. You know, that pastor will reach reach into Malachi, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you will say, how have we robbed you? And your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for a blessing until there is no more. And generally, when you start talking about such things, you know the question of, are we talking about 10% of gross or 10% of net? Or, you know, what, what exactly do I tithe and so forth? Um, I, I personally, um, I, I'm going to be real honest with you, I don't believe tithing is the, is the New Testament model for giving. And I know my treasurer is over there grinding his teeth saying, what are you saying? Tithing is only mentioned once in the New Testament, and there it's mentioned in passing, as Jesus is focused upon something else. The model for giving in the New Testament is sacrificial giving. It's the widow's mite. It's the person who sees a need and meets it, and does so cheerfully. Giving is, in fact, significant. I'm not suggesting it's not. But what has happened is that a system that was developed to tithe in the Old Testament in what was supposed to be an egalitarian society where basically equality was sought. You had the year of Jubilee and all these other systems in place to keep everybody kind of on the same playing field. So the tithing made sense in that sort of environment. But in an environment where you don't have the same playing field, the tithing becomes an oppressive statement to the poor and uh, a liberating prideful statement to the rich. Jesus has called us to be sacrificial in our giving. He's called us to be mindful of that. Sadly, it's something that, that Christians too often don't participate in. In his book, Passing the Plate, Christian Smith says that in an average year, his study shows that one out of five give 
nothing to church ministry. Now, I don't know the giving records of anybody here. Okay, I'm not a pastor who's ever been interested in what people give. That's none of my business. That's between you and God. Okay. But I would encourage you that if you're not at least giving something to ministry, to work, to, to God's work out here, then you're not expressing any sort of thankfulness for the things that God Himself has done in your life, in your heart, in your experience. Our giving is an outgrowth of of a recognition of what God has done in our lives. It's, it's an expression of that. It's, it's an acknowledgement of that. And it's a, it's, a, it's a capacity to share in the work that God is doing, to be a part of it in a very real way, in a very meaningful way. So I would simply encourage you as as we think about giving, as we, we think about that prospect and that issue, that uh, we do so from the mindset of Paul's desire that we be cheerful givers. That we bless others. And we see what God can do with the gifts that we do bring, whatever those may be. So if that is, if those are the ways that we steal, why do we steal? Well, I think there's there's two basic reasons. Number one, we don't really love our neighbor. But the heart of theft, the heart of seeking someone else's something for nothing, is the failure to recognize that we are responsible for the preservation and well-being of the property of our neighbor. When you look at the, 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 the very first uh, murder, in the Bible. What, is, what does Cain say there to God? Am I my brother's keeper? And, and in that exchange, the, as the story is told, as, as that unfolds, the, one of the primary purposes of that story is to establish quite early on that yes, indeed, you are your brother's keeper. You do bear responsibility for the well-being of those around you. And this plays out in, in charity and and in, in the giving of alms as recorded in the Scripture, and, and the investing in others, and the sharing of things in the book of Acts, and all of those things, you see this, this investment in, our, in your neighbor, and in their well-being, and taking responsibility for the preservation of their well-being. And so if we're willing to steal, if we're willing to, 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 to rob from them, then at the heart of that is a, is a recognition, it's, it's a Basically, the question Cain asked, am I my brother's keeper? There's a selfishness behind it. There's a failure to recognize that that person is worthy of caring for. That, that person is worth protecting. That their material well-being is worth investing in as well. And that it's not just about us. I think a second reason we steal is we don't trust God. Think about it. Every aspect of, of stealing that I mentioned, from stealing of reputation to, uh, to not working uh, and, and basic theft, goes, comes back to the issue of, I need to take care of these things 
rather than trusting God to take care of these things. It's a stepping into the process and saying, I need to accomplish this. I need to acquire this. I need to take care of this because I really don't believe God's going to see me through this. I really don't believe God is going to take care of my situation, my circumstance. And so we find ways to manipulate our circumstances to the detriment of others. We steal from them. But I hope you understand today that stealing costs us too. It's not just the cost to other people that is that is rendered when we steal from them. Stealing costs us too. It steals us, first of all, um, because it makes us more comfortable with selfishness. Because what inevitably happens when you steal, again, in whatever nature that takes place, is you seek to justify it somehow. You seek to give some rationale, some reason, some explanation for why it's appropriate or why why it's right or why it's it's actually at the end of the day a good thing that you operated that way, functioned that way. And over time, your heart becomes hard. Our, our, our hearts become hard and, and we, we build selfishness and we diminish selflessness and, and we just get comfortable in that mindset. We develop a, a, a mindset of entitlement that somehow I deserve these things that I'm taking for others without putting into it. That somehow I'm owed a certain standard of living or a certain reality. Um, And we start to buy into the lie that, that I deserve more. And instead of living within the means of, of what we ought to actually be functioning through and operating within, we selfishly try and build more, again, on the backs of others. The second way that stealing costs us is it destroys the sense of accomplishment and the value of a hard day's work. My prayer for everyone, my prayer for my children, my prayer for the young people that I work with at the college, people that I come in contact with, is that at least once in their life, they will have had a day where they worked and they went home completely satisfied and joyful over the hard work they put in that day that they're exhausted, they're tired, they're overwhelmed, and it feels great because of what they did that day, what they accomplished. When we steal, we destroy any sense of accomplishment. We, we destroy any sense of the value of a hard day's work. We lose that joy. And I, I think, again, the, one of the reasons that we experience that joy when we put in that hard day's work, when when we go home satisfied that I did it today, it goes back to that's the way we were created. We're tapping into that, into that, that element of who we are that, that God built into us from the beginning. We, we're discovering at that moment, this is what I was created for. This is who I've created, been created to be. 
when we steal, when we don't put in the effort at work, or, or when, we, when we sell people shorter, or we do other things, we rob ourselves of that sense of accomplishment, that sense of joy and, and wholeness. Stealing also costs us further trust in God. You see, it's a cycle. And, and it's a cycle that you can slip into and, and fall into, and it just keeps feeding on itself to where you get to a place to where you're completely lost, where, okay, I don't trust God for this situation, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going uh, to sell this short, or I'm going to accomplish this task in, in this inappropriate way. And so we do that. And then we look back on it and we say, what? I didn't need God after all. But then the situation rises again where we have some need or whatever. And again, instead of trusting God, well, we didn't need God last time. We're not going to need Him this time. And it just builds. It just grows. To the point to where we're completely devoid of any acknowledgement or understanding of God's place and God's role, His sovereign lordship over our lives. And so not only have we lost a sense of accomplishment in what we've done, we've lost any sense of connection with God. Theft robs us probably more than anything we could ever rob from another. Because it robs us of the most essential connection we have, and that is the connection we have with our Lord, with our God. So how can we build trust in God? How can we break the cycle? How can we move into a direction that is, that is hopeful and that is, that is helpful and that leads away from theft? Well, I think, first of all, we need to develop realistic understandings of ourselves. We have to humble ourselves. We have to understand that there are limits to our knowledge that there are limits to our logic. As I was preparing this, this, passage, this message, I, 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 was, I was brought back in my thoughts to Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And it's a verse I've heard over and over and over again. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll make your path straight. You know, it's one of probably one of the first verses I learned as a child. Okay, I mean it, it goes way back, and, and y'all probably realize this, and so I'm probably just behind the curve. But as I was reflecting upon that verse this this week, something struck me that it really should have struck me a long time ago, and it just didn't. The person who wrote that is Solomon, the wisest man ever lived. Now think about that. This is the guy who had understanding that boggled everyone's mind in terms of how life functions, how people function, how all of these things operate. He was the go-to guy for wisdom. He was the go-to guy for understanding. And yet he wrote what? Don't trust in your own. 
If Solomon says that, how much more do I need that? The wisest man who ever lived expressed his limitedness. How much more do I need to understand and express my limitedness? I think that's part of why God inspired him to write that. It's to communicate that truth to us. Here is this one I gave great wisdom to. And at least for that moment, as he's writing it, he understood he couldn't do it on his own. And so all of us need to daily, continuously, constantly return to that knowledge. I can't do it on my own. But if I can't do it on my own, then where do I go? I, I go to God. Who holds all things in His hands. And, and it begins that trust process. How does it continue? The trust process continues when we get to know Him better. We get to know God better. Spend time with Him and people who know Him well. Listen to the testimony of those who have walked with Jesus, who have had God take them through some journey, some, some inescapable loss or some struggle or some hardship. Listen to what they have to say. And as you walk and as, as you journey, spend time in His Word. Again, I, I think the primary reason that so much of the Bible is in narrative form, which really is unique among the sacred writings of the ancient um, uh, ancient religions. It's a narrative form. Why? Because what God is trying to say is, who I was for them, I can be for you. What I've done in the past, I can do today. What I brought them through, I can bring you through. It's God communicating clearly His nature, the essence of who He is. That It's embedded in that I am statement to, to, to Moses. You want to know who I am, Moses? You want to know my character? Walk with me. See who I've been for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I can be the same for you. See who I am in this moment and know that's who I'm going to be when you face Pharaoh and the trials and the tribulations of the wilderness. God is saying that to us today, that as we face our hardships, as we face those, those bills that seem overwhelming, or, or other situations and circumstances, that as we trust Him, as we walk in Him, as we hold to His standards, He will see us through these things. He will walk with us. He will provide for us. Third, we need to take our doubts to Him. Because those doubts will creep in. One of the most powerful words of Scripture is Mark 9.24. I believe. Help my unbelief. What a, what a sentence to say to the Lord and Savior. I believe. I, I, I've seen what you can do. I, I know what you're capable of. I I, I I understand 
your power and your majesty and your authority over all things. But I still struggle with it when it comes to applying it to my own life. We stand here and, and sing what a powerful name it is. And it is a powerful name, the name of Jesus. And we know when we look at creation, we look at the immense nature of the universe. And we begin to contemplate just how big everything is. And also how small everything boils down to and atoms and molecules and quarks and all those other things that they talk about. Our God is so powerful. So amazing. And yet, we run into a little problem in our life. And we say, God, I got this. No need to step in this time. If our God really is invested in the smallest elements of life and the immensity of this universe, if He can really deal with both of those simultaneously, do you really think He's disinterested in, quote, your small issues? The one. He made in His image the one He loves enough to send His Son to die in your place. God wants every part of your life. He wants to be in every decision you make. He wants to be at the center of every thought you possess. Even those doubts that we have. He wants us to say, I'm struggling with this right now. Help my unbelief. And as we do that and he responds, we'll see our trust begin to grow. Finally, we need to, we need to take our thoughts captive. That is, we, we, need, to, we need to think through our thinking. We, we need to consider our rationales and our reasons and our excuses and the statements that we're making. We, we need to, when, when those excuses start to come out of our mouth or pop into our head, we need to take those captive and, and say, no, that's, that's not the truth. That's not the reality. That is not what is appropriate in this time. God is in control. God is on His throne. I will not serve a greater purpose by trying to accomplish this on my own. I will surrender to Him. And one of the ways I believe we can start to take our, thought, our thoughts captive is, is to look at for how God is, is evident around you. To, to look at what He's in fact doing. When I was growing up, I don't know if this is still a big deal or not, probably not, since so many other things have come in, but when I was growing up, connect dots were the thing. I love to get that connect the dots book. You know, 
I'd get out, I'd get out my pencil and, you know, I'd say, okay, there's one and there's two and you just follow it around. Okay. And when you look at it, you're like, okay, I, I, maybe I kind of see what's there. I'm not really sure what's there. But as you start to connect the dots, then what? You see, ah, oh, there's a picture there. There's an image there. There's, the dots by themselves don't really do anything or, or show me anything. And I might be able to make some guesses, but as I purposefully draw the line from one to another, that picture forms. And that's the way we need to begin to learn life. That as we look at the circumstances of our life, they look like they're just a jumble of dots sometimes. This is happening here, and this is happening over there, and this is happening over there. Sometimes we need to just sit down, take captive of our thoughts, take captive of our day and, and what we experience, and begin to make those connections one by one. How God protected us from something. Maybe we didn't even see it, but we know there was a possibility of that. God, God saw us through that. God brought that, that conversation into my life. God, God moved in that circumstance. And as we begin to, to connect, those dots will begin to see God at work and will begin to trust Him more. That's what it means to take our thoughts captive, is to, is to look at our life and our circumstances and to see how God's working. To see what God's doing. And to trust that I don't have to steal. I don't have to sell myself short or, or sell my circumstances short by giving half an effort. I can give all that I am. I can trust that God's going to see me through when I invest all that I am in that relationship, in that circumstance, in that job, in that task. The road to no stealing, as with every other path we've seen, boils down to a meaningful relationship with God. Seeing Him for who He is and what He can do in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the clarity that You so often provide. And God, I pray that today You brought that, that clarity to, to hearts and minds here about things that we're doing that maybe shouldn't be doing or things that we should be doing that we're not in terms of our relationship with you, in terms of seeing your power and your authority and your provision in our lives. Lord, um, I just pray that you go with us today. Encourage us and direct us. Help us to see the value of, of hard work. Help us to see the value of your provision and to walk and that knowledge and understanding. You're so good. Help us to see that daily. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.